Hello and welcome to Manifest Destiny, the podcast for history lovers, old friends, and new lovers about old times and kind of the present. We're going wide with this. I really like that. Can we lock that in? We can lock that in. Uh, It's a very weird and rambly um, mission statement. So anyway, I um, I am your host, Blair. And I'm Rebecca. And we are here today to talk about a couple of strong, powerful women. Um, I will let Rebecca take it away with what she has to share with us today. Yeah, so I got a good one for you today. Okay, I'm Because you know what? It's a woman that's not only a strong, powerful woman, but a woman who is just angry. <laughs> and I personally relate to nothing more than a just really angry women. Like, I've been raised by them. Same, same, same. Pleasure to know them. May Pleasure to be, be them. them. Yes. May we raise them. Yes. May we know yes. them. I'm just unapologetically angry. Angry women. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So, Daisy Bates. She is just the one from the beginning. She, I have to confess that I'm, like, actually really not familiar with this. So, her birthday... We're going to start okay, off I'm November ready. 11th, 1914. Ooh, Scorpio baby. Ooh, so she's angry. She, it's more like, yeah, well, they're angry, but they have everything within them. Like, a, yeah. a Scorpio is a box within a box within a box. Okay. Like, no one really knows who a Scorpio is because they're such passionate, I mean, these are always very true. Angry people. Um, and, you know, again, they're a water sign, so they... They lead with their emotions, but they also, like, rule the world through their emotions. Like, they're very powerful leaders, and they're just extremely manipulative and good at what they do. They're, they're the most manipulative sign. Like, I would say that Pisces are manipulative and, like, kind of like, oh, it wasn't me. Way. Yeah. But Scorpios are like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. I, I was put that. on this planet to be in charge. Like, and... I mean, this is literally her whole I, I mean, thing. I'm not lying to you guys. I really don't know about this yet. She's convincing me. I don't know. So, okay. Take it away. So... It's a very sad start to Daisy Bates' life when she is just a small thing. Her mother is sexually assaulted small thing. <laughs> and murdered by three white men. And the police just don't care, which, you know, we don't know anything about that in this day and age. So Daisy is sent to live with her father's friends, and they are the Smiths. And Mr. Smith takes a real shine to Daisy. They really sort of bond, and Daisy sort of grows up Mr. Smith her adoptive father is the one that tells her ultimately about what happened to her mother nobody had the courage to tell her and Mr. Smith does and Daisy is just like well what the fuck like this is now like my identity so she literally okay. says my life now had a secret goal to find the men who had done this horrible thing to my mother and this was the thing that like started her off so I'm not Daisy at like all of 15 years old decides that she is going to find the killers of her mother she's like an original murderino she is literally the original one. She's the original fucking Michelle McNamara. Like, okay. she's out there looking for the killers. And she is in this commissary one day and sees this drunk guy, this young drunk guy, who is looking at her really, like, intently and guiltily. And she's like, oh my god, he recognizes me because of my mother. And so what does she do? She starts... stop She starts coming to this commissary every day and just sitting at the commissary oh bench and god, staring Daisy, at this guy. She just Daisy. stares him down until this man, I kid you not, drinks himself to death and dies in a ditch. And at one point, like weeks before he died, he like pleaded with her. He's like, please, like, I'm sorry. Like, stop staring at me. And she's like, no, no, I will not. <laughs> until he died in a literal oh ditch. God, that is a Scorpio of alcoholism. for you. I so love that. Daisy Bay dispatched one of her mother's killers. I love this. Like a queen. And so then, queen. so wait, when around around what time is this? Like the twenties? This is like literally the twenties. Okay. So 
she does this thing. But and do we know if he actually was the killer? Or it's the very unfortunate. I mean, I think she was very fortunate recipient of Daisy's. Rap. I think Daisy knew. Okay, okay, I think she's a very perceptive. I mean, I'll witch. give her that. So Daisy has this relationship with her adoptive father, who's just this wonderful instrumental figure in her life. And on his deathbed, he gives her this address, and this is just something that I thought was very powerful and he says daisy you're filled with hatred (laughs) hate can destroy you daisy don't hate white people just because you're white if you hate make it count for something hate the humiliations we are living under in the south hate the discrimination that eats away at the south hate the discrimination that eats away at the soul of every black man and woman hate the insults hurled at us by white scum and then try to do something about it or your hate won't spell a thing and so Daisy takes this straight to heart, and she's like, well, my hate is going to do a thing. So she marries this guy, Lucas, Lucius Bates, Daisy Bates, and together in tandem, I think Lucius maybe had laid the foundation. They Tell moved. me more about their love story. Do you know who they met? Um, he was married to somebody else. <laughs> Classic. And Daisy was significantly younger. She was, I think, all of <gasps> 17, 18, <gasps> and they fell in love, and he divorced his wife, and they got married, and he had started this paper called the Arkansas State Press, which was a black, predominantly paper. That Is was, he black? Yes. Is she black? Yes. They're both black. You must, Rebecca, you could have told me that. I thought you knew. I didn't know. Well, she's black, everyone, <laughs> if you didn't know. I mean, I think it was kind of implied when I said that three white men specifically, like, killed and raped her. I, that was not clear to me. Well, she's very much I black. I figured it was just more evil white men. I mean, they're, they're yeah, but this they're was everywhere. racially motivated okay. people. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. That, that, might, be make, that might be on but me. But it also might be on me for not making that clear. Okay, so but anyways, yes, everybody in the story so far of Merritt is black. Okay. All the terrible people okay. are white. So Lucius Bates and marries Daisy Smith, and she becomes Daisy Bates, and this happens in 1942. And the year prior to their marriage, Lucius founded this Arkansas State Press, which was mostly dealing with civil rights issues and supporting black businesses and all these wonderful things. And Daisy becomes this instrumental figure and is retroactively considered a founder of the paper. She was very interested in highlighting the accomplishments of black Americans, and it was all wonderful. She then, around... 1952, at 38 years old, oh, a little bit prior to that, she joined the local NAACP chapter. And then at 38, she becomes the president as a woman. Oh. In fucking... In Arkansas. In, in Arkansas in the 1950s. Those people she still is. have a ways to go. I'll tell well, you ways to you're go. listening from Arkansas... What's up? Look, what's good, What's good? Look at a mirror, bro. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. So when they asked her, like, when she joined the NAACP, this was like a few years later, like, what she like cared to do being a member of this and then becoming the president of the board her reply was i want to change the whole darn system so daisy bates was like just about like an equal opportunist to get everything fixed and then ultimately people are like daisy you literally cannot take on everything like you got to focus your energy so what did she manifest integration of schools and daisy bates i I thought you were gonna say destiny (laughs) i mean it was her destiny and daisy bates is like this is my hill i'm ready to die on this like literally i will die on this if it takes it so daisy bates was literally the reason the little little rock nine happened and (sighs) the reason they kept going back even though there was wait so is that why like arkansas was selected as the place for so it had been a conversation that had been going on before but once it was announced that that was the school that they were going to test us in daisy bates was like i don't care what anybody has to say here this is my fight and she and the little rock nine when interviewed are kind of like 
eh on it because she like <laughs> pushed their parents out of the picture and was like, I'm their mother now. This is my group of kids and I will figure out what to do. And she was the one that figured it out. So the first time they went, the Little Rock Nine go to the school, it was uh, Arkansas Central High School. And they show up and the National Guard has been summoned by the governor. So they can't get in. The National Guard is barring their way. There's all mm-hmm. these like crazy white protesters that are like just being terrible. Daisy Bates is there. The kids get pulled back. So the second time they try, Daisy Bates gets ministers, like phalanxes of ministers, two in the front and two in the back of each kid to walk the oh kids my into God, the school. Yes. And she just like kept going and it was just dogged and like, we're going to do this. I don't care. And the kids were like ultimately feeling a little used <laughs> at the end of the day. They were like, yeah, I mean, this is great, obviously, for civil rights, but at the same time, like, we are the ones that actually have to go to school with a bunch of racists. I mean, and I so I haven't read this in many years, but I one of my favorite memoirs is "Warriors Don't Cry" by yes. now, but Patillo Beals. I feel like that was high school when I yes. read that. Um, but she was one of the Little Rock Nine, and I do remember like being so struck as even just like a much younger person reading it, how, how she was talking about how. She was like, you had to be at the tippity top of your class to even be considered for this. And like her parents sat her down and were like, to do this, you must be a credit to your yes, race. Yes. Like you are representing all black people in this endeavor. Well, there was and a, just insane to think that like that is put on the shoulders of these like high school literally, kids. There was a girl nine months before Rosa Parks who refused to give up her seat on the bus. And her mother was like, do not talk about this because you are too young and too dark skinned to take this on. And then when, and it was after Rosa Parks had come out and the girl was like, I should say something. And the mom was like, no, do not because this is too much and you will get targeted. I mean, I think that was really, like, a thing that they were putting... Ugh. You think about, the like, the Birmingham massacre. Like, that was very much martyring these mm. little black girls that were killed and turning, like, children into these focal points of the civil rights movement. And that's so fucked up that that was the only way people were able to humanize this, is if we made, like, really, like, young children. Like, like Ruby Bridges, yeah? Right. Like, we had to, like, personify it in, like, a very childish form for people to actually, like, wake up and give a shit, which is fucked. I mean, I don't, it's just so interesting, and I'm always just so struck by this thought whenever I learn about, like, integration and stuff like that, how many different countries exist within the United States. Like, it is just wild to me that this happens in the 60s, and there are women, like, spitting on, like, 15-year-olds. I think the 60s, like, that litmus like the same you know we look at all of our like rock and roll staples coming out of that time and seeing that as such a idealistic free love thing and the fact that civil rights was going on at the same time is something that's so estranged and separate to me in my mind like it seems like parallel existences and you can't think of one existing in the same sphere as the other have you ever read americana no well she like talks about americana so good you should read it but it's basically about um this African immigrant in America, but she talks about how she's, like, really into vintage clothing, and she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, like, buy these dresses and think about how, like, the last person to wear this was probably, like, an (laughs) anti-busser. Like, this was probably, like, she's like, that's, like, my style is, like, 60s. Appropriating the fucking clothes of the white oppressors. I love that. I know. It was, I mean, everyone should read that. It really stuck with me that just, A, how many different things were happening at the same time in the 60s, and it's, like, really crazy to think like you know like at teddy kennedy is right 
on a Martha's Vineyard. Like some people are at Woodstock, yeah. and some people are literally getting spit on. Yeah, and spit called on, the like, N word, and like so terrible things. In the wake I'm, of all of this, Daisy had all sorts of terrible things. They had, you know, they burned an effigy outside of her house and said, "Go back to Africa, KKK." And I mean, all am sorts of so terrible embarrassed shit. that I didn't know about this woman. She is incredible. And she just remained, like, pretty pissed off her whole life. Like, she just, like, did not settle. <laughs> yes. for, she made all of these accomplishments, and she still was like, no. So after, you know, the Little Rock Nine finally got in, she had MLK come and stay with her, and he gave an address at a AM&N College, and then... A&M? A- so AM&N, it is, like, Arkansas's... <laughs> Okay. Texas A&M. Do not text. Do not add us, Arkansas. Do not A-M-N-M. add us, Arkansas. But you can, A-M-N-M. actually. We'll take you on, Arkansas. M-M-M. So MLK identified her as this woman speaker for this Dexter Baptist Church. And then she ends up moving to D.C. and becomes a DNC lobbyist for, who did she work? LBJ, working on poverty initiatives. Wow. So after she did that for a while, she was like, I am over this. I think actually the stress of D.C. gave her a small stroke, and she was like, I am out. D.C. <laughs> is not for me. So she moves back to Arkansas. D.C. is awful. Starts working on, like, local improvements for different suburbs around Arkansas and ends up reviving the Arkansas State Press after her husband dies and, like, has this, like, retroactive resurgence of this black fronted paper and then she died in Little Rock in 1999. <gasps> and in Little Rock? In Little Rock. So this was a woman that pretty much gave her life to civil rights. And I think it is really fucked up that I never learned about her in high school. I've never heard. I mean, And so, she touched so many things. She was the president of the fucking chapter of NAACP Well, my question is, are there like, you know, schools and memorials named after her or not really? I think there are some. But I, you know, in part of my research, I looked on YouTube, as one does. And there was a PBS documentary done that was calling her Arkansas's first lady. And it was wonderful, but I got the impression from watching it that there really hadn't been a lot of coverage for her. Wow. And I think it was because, you know, and she was someone that spoke up when women weren't typically speaking up and about civil rights issues, obviously in a place that wasn't super open to that. But she did have this, like, very antagonistic veneer, which I think a lot of people at the time found off-putting and alienating. But now, personally... I think it's like the greatest thing a woman can be. It's just like unapologetically angry just about a, a situation. Woman. Just like I'm fucking pissed off and I'm gonna fucking be pissed off. Oh, I love what that. What a queen. I love that too. Yeah. And sometimes I, I mean, not to impugn myself because I do think I am a powerful woman, a powerful witch, et cetera. Yes. But I wish that Cheers. I had the, you know, I feel like sometimes I lack the charisma to stay as yes. mad. Like, I'll, I will yes. go through, like, a horrific customer service experience, and then I will, like, be like, I'm going to yelp this. And, and then you never do. And then I just get home, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? He was doing my his anger, best. I was doing yep, my best. My dissipated. anger just subsides. Like, I do think some people are put on this earth with, like, a righteous cause, and, like... Well, she also, like, it's was like, aware of her mother about being it. fucking wake murdered. Wake about it. Yeah, like, a racial... That and is then her, so her crazy. adoptive father being like don't be angry use your anger to burn it to the ground and she was like yes i fucking will like i will torch these motherfuckers that always reminds me of um you know the movie 300 (laughs) shout out to 300 but there's a scene shout out to movies that came out when we were in apus history in 2008 um i mean i feel like it was on hbo every Mm -hmm. hour in high school so i watched it a lot sip vodka that we'd water down from our parents sure for sure okay well one thing about 300 is that 
I remember our friend, I won't name her, but she was like the first person to have sex in high school. Rebecca and I were not on that level no, whatsoever. Not um, we but, were really into US history though. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, so anyway, but she was like, yeah, um, it's just so annoying when you see sex in movies. It's so unrealistic. It's not what it's like at and all. We were like, what? No, no, no. And then she said, except for the movie 300. That is she the most that? accurate. What that is the most fu- accurate I mean, I depiction of sex that exists. So I remember being like 16, and I would just watch the scene of Leonidas and his queen making love <laughs> <laughs> over and over, being like, is "So this the moral is, our friend was like, having great sex, and none I mean, of us have ever." But she, I think she was more like, you know, there's just like lots of different positions. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking, but if if she was having King Leonidas level, you know, I mean, God bless her. God bless her. But, so anyway, so I'll never watch the movie 300 without immediately going to that scene and being like, yes. The, the second thing about two, about 300 is that there's a part where um, a guy's, like, most prized, most loved son is, like, executed. He gets his head cut off in the battle. And Leonidas says to his friend and, like, war buddy, he's like, are you okay? And the guy's like, I have taken my heart and I have filled it with hate. Oh. And and it's like chilling, and, and he's I literally like, "There's that. nothing like sad about it. Like I'm not gonna wallow about like this really messed up situation. Like I just want to come on blazing angry. angry." And it's like I feel like that's anger what is Daisy such an did. underrated emotion. Totally in America, you know, talk about manifest destiny. Like if people were to be angrier, like I feel like they'd manifest a lot more. I mean, we don't <laughs> embrace anger, and I feel like a lot of like social justice the needles move through anger like people just being like righteously indignant have you read shrill by lindy west is that what the i've seen the hulu television series um oh yeah i mean that's great but it's a book of essays it's pretty different yeah i actually the witches are coming was another book lindy west wrote and i really didn't like it so i stopped talking about her but but yeah she talks a lot about like female anger and how there's no way to like there's no place for it in our society, like, unless it can be channeled into something that would make you buy something. It's like, we're yes. such a consumer-driven patriarchal yes. society that, like, the only outlet... Always be optimizing. The only outlet for female anger is to be like, I'm so angry that my kid died in a car crash. Like, I'm going to buy, like, a Subaru. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, that's how car. they're channeling it. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, so we, we're going from Daisy Bates today, who is just, like, an unapologetically angry, proactive effective woman and touched a lot of things and did a lot of good in this country and she should be taught in all schools in all curriculum Blair you're going to tell us about another queen though that gave us all something that we can rely on so I'm going to talk about Margaret Sanger Ooh. and you know she's a little bit of a problematic fave I if mean, you will because honestly we stand problematic faves but we no but it's like we stand Daisy Bates like, like that's a woman yeah. going for it doing things I think when I go a little more to Margaret Sanger you're going to be like okay okay okay, okay. this is going to be more like a Ted Kennedy like this went off the rails no. quite literally yes it quite literally off went bridge. off it went off the bridge so Too anyway soon. so Margaret Sanger was born Margaret Louise Higgins in, on September 14th 1979 Wait, which means she is a? She is a Virgo. And she also died. A virgin? A Virgo. But isn't Virgo the virgin? Yes, but it... But classic mix-up. It, rem- it, it Yeah, seriously, classic mix-up. 
um, not a virgin. About not a virgin. Just going into her, not a virgin, but definitely a Virgo. The thing about Virgos is that they are super critical of themselves and others and society. It's like they're kind of like nitpicky. These are all very I, accurate. Rebecca, you're you're acting like you're surprised. I am surprised because I, mean, I don't believe in this shit. Stay I mean, this li- is shocking. Anyway, she basically Sanger's a Virgo. Before we go into it, she was. Um, she popularized the term birth control. That's right. Um, opened the first birth control clinic in the United States. Um, and she established the organization that evolved into Planned Parenthood. So she is the founding mother of PP. You know, she did it all. And it's interesting. I think we can talk a little bit about her creating the term birth control because in a lot of ways that has held like the movement back. back because people don't like that. It's people don't like that it's birth control. They don't like that it's the killing of babies. And it's not. So anyway, Sanger was born in a very large family and she was actually, her mother died giving birth. She gave birth to 17 people. 17 humans. As one does. As one does. 11 of them lived past childhood, so Sanger was one of 11. And she was just like, look, this is crazy. This is too many How kids. How do I have no control over how many kids I'm going to have? Like, my mom is dead. Like, I'll never know her. Like, just truly terrible things. So she became really pivotal in the reproductive rights movement. And before this, what was there? Like herbs that you shoved up your vagina and hoped for the best? Like, um, I just watched a movie last night that I was kind of half paying attention to. And then they started like doing an old school abortion on Hulu. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It looks great. I mean, I was I was pretty into it, and then I kind of like was eating dinner, or whatever, and then I went back, and my dad was like, um, "I think there is an abortion about to happen." <laughs> Stay tuned. And I was like, "Wait, what?" Um, yeah, so that was upsetting. But so anyway, so she grew up in this enormous family in New York City, and was like, "Okay, enough is enough. This is the." Number one thing that needs to be changed, women have no control over their bodies. And um, she ends up saying enforced motherhood is the most complete denial of a women of a woman's right to life and liberty. To which I just wrote, yes, queen. Yes. It's like I don't wanna I don't wanna do that. I'm not trying to beat around the bush. You know what I meant? So she felt that in order for women to have a more equal footing in society and to, like, lead healthier lives where you don't die at the age of 28 randomly, like, we gotta, we gotta do something. We gotta start the American Birth Control League, which she did in 1921, um, which ultimately becomes Planned Parenthood as we know it. 1920s, what a time. But I mean, can you believe, like, hearing that date, 1921, as the founding of Planned Parenthood just shows you what a badass she was? Because, like, I feel like people were just, like... Doing the Charleston back then. <laughs> like, no one, like, it's like, yeah. Coitus Interruptus people, was the Coitus Charleston. Coitus Interruptus was the main way of birth control. She opened the first birth control tri- clinic in 1916. And so she's distributing information on contraception. And an underwoman, undercover policewoman bought her pamphlet on family planning and arrested her. Not arrested her? Arrested her. You just said arrested her. I said, <laughs> whatever, not a sister. Not a not an ally. Truly, not like, this ally. undercover policewoman was not cool. So she was like, not women need ally. to be able to determine whether or not they're bearing children. So she ends up going to jail more than once for these beliefs. And so despite being this kind of, like, middle class force of nature, which is incredible, and it was, like, during a time when the middle class was really growing. So it was something for other middle class women to look at and be like, yeah, like, why am I having 19 kids? And again, as American history goes on, 
a huge way that the middle class and the lower classes are divided um, is through how many children they have and how many mouths they have to feed. Like, in a lot of ways, that's how middle class transcends the working classes. Totally. Um, so, yeah, so she was... And a- it, it is. I mean, it's access to preventative measures. If you have money, you have access to birth control. Yeah. I mean, exactly, but she... Well, so this is where it gets a little sticky and not chill, is that she was um, a proponent of eugenics. Yes, so she they was always like, are at this time. <laughs> well, she's like, we're going to start using eugenics to, like, she's like, we're, we're using birth yeah. control to create, like, a, a whiter future. Like, we right. don't want African Americans to be able to. To um, which Daisy Bates would have said, fuck you. Well, she organized in New York City the first African um, first con- birth control clinic with all females advi- with all female doctors, which is kind of cool. But it was in Harlem, served an African American population, and it was literally just her being like, "Please don't have more babies. Like we want like a whiter future." So it's just interesting because so she is this very complicated figure because she obviously is one of the first people to recognize and voice that women are dying from botched abortions women are dying from childbirth women are having way more women or having way more children than they can feed women are losing their livelihood and their independence to children and she's very vocal in saying like what women need to move forward and be powerful in the world is to get rid of this huge burden of not being able to control how many kids you have but at the same time, she was a classic 1920s mouthpiece for eugenics, which is so crazy and awful. Um, so very interestingly, a couple of years ago, uh, the House Republicans campaigned to have her portrait taken out of the National Portrait Gallery Ugh. in the Smithsonian. But no. Jane Marion Sims is still there, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's just interesting because they, I think, wanted to get rid of her because she was like a strong, powerful lady. But um, they kind of said, you know, she had, quote unquote, an inhumane life work, which is kind of, which is a religious reference being like, you know, she's telling people not to use the Lord's semen plan. Okay. And then they're also, it's her being like, but they're also saying, you know, Ben Carson is proclaiming that Sanger believed that people like me should be eliminated. Which is, you know, very legit. (laughs) So it's like the... So she was removed from this portrait gallery and is kind of... Hasn't really claimed her place in American history. And a big part of that is how complicated her legacy is and how kind of messed up it is. It's a really interesting topic because it's, you know, it's taking all of these people within the cultural lens that they came in, which is something we've talked about before. But how do you celebrate the accomplishments of somebody that has impacted so many, you know, millions of women and justify that with some of the like really terrible beliefs that underpinned that i think that's like a very interesting way to deal with history is taking both equally but again it's i just think it's not fair that i think she's being judged by this crazy standard it's like it's 1921 she's supposed to know that eugenics are awful but right but we have we have andrew jackson on the 20 dollar bill right i like it's like i'm all for judging people in the context of their times but it does feel like Margaret Sanger gets way short, more right. shade. Of than, course she does, because she's you know, a woman. Like, because she's a woman. It is a, it feels it's sexist. Gendered. It's definitely gendered. But I think that's going to be like a prevailing thing with this podcast is like how much and how easily do we excuse behavior looking at it through a cultural lens? Like everything we look at is going to have to, you know, be seen through the context of the time. Yes. Okay, well, my thing is like, 
maybe we don't look at it through a lens of this is bad or this is good. It's like this is a lens of like this is important. Right. Like it was important that you recognize this. It's important that you disseminated all of this birth control information. Like right. it's clearly coming from a Those very can exist in darkly harmony. awful place. Yep. But I think that it does exist in harmony. Is like like there's a little passage in, in Greenwich Village in New York. There's like a Margaret Sanger place and it has like the first Planned Parenthood. And it's like just it's like a name I didn't even like really doesn't even register with you and then you look it up and you're like this is someone it's who's that not being oh it's that Margaret Sanger do like, you know that we have now recorded four episodes and you have mentioned that you're from New York in okay. every single one of them first of all I was waiting I was gonna see if it took four to see go? I was gonna call you out in three but I was like I wanna see if she goes I to four I hate you and you did sorry to be more interesting New Yorkers are so annoying they're literally every chance to get they're like oh yeah so when I was riding the subway in New York City where I live in New York. Rebecca, you talk about where you live. No, I have just not mentioned know what, it once. No Nobody, one cares. No, don't say it. DM us if you know where I live. Because you don't, because it's not been mentioned once. DM but me. Do, DM me if you know Blair's street address and her social security number. Because <laughs> you've already been figured okay. it out. Okay. I take that as feedback. And so it- today's <laughs> episode has been brought to you by two just strong, unapologetic queens. And you know, for good Are times... Are we the apologetic queens or Mary... No, we're trash. Daisy Bates uh, We're talking about Margaret. Daisy Bates and Margaret Sanger. And they both have issues that we, you know, can acknowledge. I stand by Daisy 100P, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Daisy Bates was pushy, and I like that. But she wasn't as awful. Like, No, she, Margaret she Sanger was like, like a, a fucking ideology. racist. Right. It was terrible. So, yeah, so we are, you know, kind of attempting to thread together these random things we're doing. But, yeah, we're, so really we're not. not doing a great job. We're not doing a great but job. But tell us what you think, because I see them as two very trailblazing women that were complicated and it's like margaret sanger maybe our legacy will be that one day too people will be like they were complicated and that's what i want on my grave like trailblazing complicated woman yeah god love it well i miss you hillary i hope you're um, doing well out there i hope that you're all having a great day and we will see you soon thank you for listening to manifest destiny a millennial take on the american millennium If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a positive review on your preferred podcast platform, but only if you enjoyed it. Looking for a history fix in between episodes of Manifest Destiny? Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Manifest Destiny Pod for exclusive content and quality memes.